Good morning, second service. If you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Chase, so I'm going to be giving the message this morning. I will say this, when Jason wrote out the schedule and who was preaching, I did not do a great job in looking at the football schedule. Packers are in the fourth quarter right now in Munich, Germany. This ain't good. So, hey, uh, don't mind the audio technician. If you hear him yelling, that's just to tell me what's going on. So don't worry about that at all. All right? Welcome to Great Oaks. Hey, we're in a Galatian series right now called Losing Our Religion. And I want to tell you about what's been going on the last several weeks with this series. So if you were here three weeks ago, Jason started this series with this statement. Jesus plus nothing equals... Yeah. <laughs> okay. Obviously didn't catch. Jesus plus nothing equals... Hey, there we go. Hey, don't worry. First service was just as bad. All right. Week two, um, our very own Paul brought us this message. When we add to the gospel, dividing walls go up. And then last week, Jason returned with, when we live the gospel, impossible things happen. I'm excited to be preaching week four of this series in Galatians because it's kind of like the, the hoorah speech in this, in this text. We're going to unpack something really exciting today. And as we do, here's what you're going to get from this week's message, and this is pretty much the main point. When we encounter the gospel, we discover who we are. When we encounter the gospel, we discover who we are. And as you know, as Paul's been writing this letter to the church in Galatia, Paul's been kind of frustrated. If you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, watch online. You can go back and look at those sermons. But we've talked about how Paul has just been kind of angry as he's been writing this, especially in chapter 2 when he starts saying, hey, guys, stop adding to the gospel. Stop going back and saying, hey, we should go to like what the Jews have been doing and take this on. And Paul's frustration is just mounting, and it gets even more and more. And it actually, like, it climaxes in chapter 5, but I don't want to steal Jason's thunder for that chapter where Paul just makes some bold claims and statements. And so today, we're going to unpack this question. The question we're going to look at today is this. Who am I? Who am I? Let's be real. If I do this well, I could probably solve every midlife crisis in the room, right? If I do this sermon extremely well, you could probably go ahead and call and cancel your counseling appointments this week. Just kidding, don't do that. But how many of us, let's be honest with ourselves, have ever asked this question, who am I or who are we? Anybody? Anybody ever asked that? Who am I? All right, this side, you've never had that identity crisis? Awesome. Okay. What am I doing here? I think we learned this way early on. One of the favorite childhood games, Megan and I still own it today, it's called Guess Who. Who remembers playing Guess Who? Anybody remember playing Guess Who? All right, so you have all the characters flipped up, and you ask questions about trying to guess the card that they have. Now, when you were a kid, you know, you, you said things like, oh, are they bald? No, then like seven go down, you know. Is it a female? And like five go down. And like, so Megan and I try to make the game more fun for adults, so I will ask a question like this. Megan, does your person look like an axe murderer? <laughs> By the way, if you have guess who at home, it's Alex, if you don't know who that is, all right? So... But my point is, when we answer this question, who are we or who am I, a lot of times it's answered with your profession. For some reason, that becomes the thing that's like the most identifiable thing about us. Uh, so I had our front office team throw up some pictures for me for a collage. Let's see how we do it guessing these. Oh, this will be entertainingly fun with Jason on the screen. 
All right, let's start with the top left audience. Let's do some context clues. What do you think top left is? Mechanic. All right, cool. Middle section, you got the star. Good job. Bottom left. Let's go stay-at-home parent. Come on, people. All right. Top right. Top right. Teacher. Nice. Hey, where are my teachers in the room? Teachers. Woo, woo. All right. Yep. Bottom right. All right. Where's my healthcare workers in the room? All right. All right. We got one or two. All right. Now, I asked my team to give me a picture of a pastor, and that's what they gave me. Okay. Let's have a little fun with this. This is what happens when Jason takes vacation on him for a week. So if you're looking at that picture in the middle, let's have a little fun. Talk to your neighbor or put it on our, our online stream or our Facebook. If you're just looking at that side profile of Jason, what profession do you think that looks like to you? Is it like resident hipster? Is it like coffee snob? Like, I don't know those glasses, man. All right, so post those online if you want to. Make sure they're appropriate. All right. But seriously, sometimes when we talk about who am I or who are we, the first thing we go to is what do I do? And did you hear it? That's not the right question. Your job is what you do. It's not who you are. One of my biggest frustrations with my profession is I do not like it when I'm out and about and somebody's like, Pastor Chase, I'm like, please stop. Please stop. You don't, I don't go around you and be like, mm, dentist, how are you? <laughs> ah, plumber Dave. <laughs> and my favorite is the reason I don't like it is because all of a sudden like people are like, oh, hey, that's the pastor. I should not say certain things. Don't be fake with me. It's okay. I was having a conversation with someone that doesn't even know me but knows I'm a pastor, and he was doing some work at my house. He's like, oh, I'm sorry, I should not have said that. I'm like, it's okay. It's all right. Because it's what I do. It doesn't fully define who I am. So church, let me ask this question. How do you define yourself? Who are you? Who are we? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. As we look into it, let's pray. Bow with me. God, as we gather here this morning, we just thank you for your word. God, as, as we continue our series in Galatians, we ask that it to be your words and not mine. We ask that the words of the pages just, you know, impart upon us, and we ask that we just learn. Pray us all in your name. Amen. This whole question of who am I or who we are is something that we just actually hit on last week. Jason actually mentioned it uh, in Galatians 3 verse 7. It says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So Paul already started looking at this and examining this. And as we continue on this morning, don't for a second think this is just Paul continuing that conversation. This is Paul expanding it. This is Paul going wide, casting a wide net and saying, hey, this is who we are. And in our context, this would have been hard for the Jewish audience to hear. Because they identified themselves as sons of Abraham. And now Paul's already said in you know, Galatians chapter 2 when Pastor Paul taught on it was, hey, Gentiles are included in this too. That was already hard. And today we're going to look at how he even expands it more than this. So let's unpack. We're going to be in Galatians 3, starting in verse 26, going into chapter 4. You can follow on the Bible app, or you can follow along the words on the screen. Verse 26. 
For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now there is a lot in there, but let's start with number one. We are all sons of God. If you call yourself in Christ, you are a son of God. Now, clarifying language, we're not the son of God. We are sons of God, all right? Let's not get that confused. And this word son, and the reason why I liked how this translation has this verse is because the Greek word here is weos, which is actually son. And you might be saying, well, Chase, this is kind of like offensive because I'm not a male. Well... You're right. It would have been offensive to the church reading this because what Paul is saying is, ladies, you have this too. You are called sons as well. And that's a huge deal. He's speaking to women and having them fall under this. So Paul's not being sexist here. He's actually being super liberating because what Paul's unpacking is he's talking about sonship. And there's three big things about sonship I want us to grasp this morning. Number one, it is a bound relationship, meaning you have an intimate relationship with the Father. You get to receive inheritance and an heir. In fact, in this context, in this culture, if a landowner or someone that had a a lot of wealth did not have a son and only had a daughter... Instead of her being the heir, he would have probably adopted one of his male servants to be the heir. That is just what he would have done. And so when Paul comes out and says, you're all sons, every one of you, man, that's a lot. That's liberating. It means you get the rights of the firstborn. In fact, Romans 8, Paul says it this way. In Romans 8, verse 17, he says this, And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We also share in the glory as well. You also see in that text we read, it says, hey, as you were baptized into Christ, having put on Christ, meaning you were clothed in Christ. And Paul uses the illustration of baptism because baptism, what it looked like is somebody would have taken off their dirty rags to be baptized and then afterwards come out and put on these new clothes. That is what he's talking about. The old is gone, the new has come. And to make sure Paul gets this point across to the audience, he hits it harder in verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you don't have that verse memorized, I would recommend you do it. This is one of the most powerful verses this entire letter to the Galatian church. And what he's saying here, I don't even need to cover this first point because I think Paul did a great job in week two. Your nationality does not matter. 
It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter what your economic status is. If you're slave or free. Think about how liberating that would have been for someone that's in servitude to hear this. Because church, let's ask ourselves this question. In our world today, how often do we feel that we're equal with everyone around us? Or do we compare and contrast and say, oh, I'm not as good as that person. I'm not as good as this person. As we unpack this morning, who am I and who are we? This is very much an identity sermon. It's going to hit a little bit of self-worth. And this is something I think we have to talk about as a society, as a church. It's something that our student pastor makes sure our students learn at least once a year. And honestly, we should probably preach it from main stage every single year. Because I think plenty of adults here struggle with self-worth. And it's not getting any easier. I remember when I was in high school, and let me go ahead and say I'm a little bit dated now, I'm a little bit older. The influences weren't the same. We didn't have like influencers on social media to tell us, hey, here's what to wear. Luckily, I got my wife to do that now. I, I, I don't know. You think I put this ensemble together? All right. But I'm serious. When I was in high school, this will date me a little bit, my phone went this way. And like, there wasn't like live video stream of, hey, here's what you should do. And then when, it, when I got a little bit older in later high school, it slid this way, which was super cool, all right? But parents, what I'm saying is this, our younger generations behind us, their pressures are even greater. So they need to understand this just as much, if not more than us, who we are. Who am I? And this third point that Paul drives home in verse 28, there is no male and female. I mentioned earlier how liberating that would have been. Let me let this sink in about how the Jewish audience would have heard that statement. If you're raised as a Jew, you have um, some religious writings called the Talmud, all right? And inside the Talmud, there is certain prayers that you should pray as the head or male of your household. One of those prayers is this. You should pray for a son because a daughter is not of equal value. That's in there. That is in there. And then it gives you reasons why she's not. And what Paul's saying right here is when it comes to salvation, when it comes to the gospel, that doesn't matter. Ladies are also categorized as sons of God, equal right in this inheritance. An author, I think, when we try to get into the mindset of Paul and why he's frustrated and what he's saying inside this text, Brett McCracken in his book Uncomfortable writes it this way. He knew that communities comprised of natural-born enemies, loving and serving and worshiping one God together, would stop onlookers in their tracks. He knew that the communion of people from every background, every personality, every side of the train tracks would be the most powerful argument for the gospel. Man, let that sink in. Church, that's what we're supposed to look like. In fact, that imagery, that imagery is Revelation 7. 
as we're all in the throne room of worship, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, the multitudes are worshiping the Lamb of God. Who are we? Supposed to be unifiers. It's not supposed to matter what nation you're from, what color you are, what anatomy you are. You are all just as important to God. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there's no slave or free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. As Paul continues on with this message in in Galatians 4, he puts it this way. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under the guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, as we look at that, you might be like, whoa, Chase, we were just talking about how we're all equal, then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, as an heir, as long as he's a child, there's no different from slave. What does this all mean? And what Paul's getting at here, and for those of you that like, like the Greek work, I will tell you right now what it is. It's epitropos kai okonomos, all right? I had to practice that 20 times to get that right. What that means is that we are all in legal guardianship. It has nothing to do with knowledge. This text is taken so out of context sometimes when people see this, oh, when we were children, we're enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So what Paul is really meaning is we have this freedom, we have this liberation, but we have to know this knowledge. We have to know more about God or theology. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no, you were here when you were under the law. That's the elementary teachings. Jesus came and said, no, no more. Because he came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Church, when we encounter the gospel, we discover who we are. And what the gospel is, the gospel is Jesus Plus nothing. Now, I can already hear like the murmurs in the room. Here we go, week four, and the same message again. Why are we preaching this constantly? Jesus plus nothing. Because church, we have to get it. We have to get it. This is the one thing we have to get right. And you're like, well, Chase, we get it right. We got this. We got this in week one. That's how great a learners we are. We didn't need Paul's sermon week two. We didn't need Jason's last week. We got this with one week. Did we? Do we? Let me give you a study. And now you're like, oh, now he's going to make you feel guilty with some statistic. And actually, no. Has nothing to do with anyone in the crowd unless you're a pastor. Arizona Christian University did a study with Gallup in January of 2022. So just this year. So it's current. They called a hundred random lead pastors in the evangelical world. And 30% of them on the phone in this survey said, yes, you can be atoned and saved by good works. 30%. Now, 
I could maybe cast that study aside and be like, they called a hundred morons. All right, but no, I'm not going to do that. Guys, 30% of a hundred people they called that have the title as lead pastor, not, not, not the title of like connection pastor, not the title of some other pastor. No, the title of lead means they're probably preaching every Sunday or almost that. 30%. Yes, you can be atoned by good works. So, you know what? Bear with me if we spend nine weeks on this. Because the problem is when we don't get this and we start saying, nope, the gospel is Jesus plus obedience. Or the gospel is Jesus plus you have to look a certain way. Or the gospel is Jesus plus you have to act a certain way. When we do that, we cheapen grace. And therefore, we cheapen the gospel. And I think the heart of the issue, if I'm going to be honest, is maybe that we are skeptics. In our American culture, we have trust issues and we're, we have a big dose of skepticism. I would even say a healthy dose. We have a big dose of skepticism. Because when we preach a message like, guys, Jesus died on the cross for grace and it's free. Whoa, free? That doesn't sound right. No, no, that, that doesn't sound right at all. It's like when you're at Costco and you're getting free samples, you're like, is this poison? Like, is this like the bad food that's expired in the back? Like, that's our mindset as, our, as in our American culture as well. No, if it's free, it can't be good. It can't be real. And so church, when we miss that, man, you miss out on the greatest aspect of the gospel is that no matter what you do, God loved you. And so our most common one is when we throw obedience in there, let me speak on that one for a minute, because obedience is important. But when we say the gospel is Jesus plus obedience, yeah, you cheapen grace a little bit, but you also have a bad misnomer for obedience. Obedience is my response because of the free gift I have. I want to be obedient because of the goodness of God. That's why I want to be obedient. If I start putting obedience in there, like, oh, I have to do this and act a certain way, if that's the life you want to live out, I'll challenge you. If you're like, Chase, I think it should be obedience. Let me shadow you for a week. I will live with you for a week. All right? And I will, I will point out every time that I think this equation is not working for you. And how I know you're not going to do well at it is because we have thousands of years of history that showed it doesn't work. And then God said, this is what I've intended all along. Here's my son. We have to get this right. And when we don't, let me tell you what we're sacrificing. When we don't get this right, we sacrifice freedom for slavery. We're saying, I don't want this free gift. I, then fine, you're going to take on ceremonial washings. You're going to take on dietary restriction, food laws. I'm telling you right now, I don't want to take on food laws. I think Jason mentioned week one, like, I would be a horrible Jew because I love bacon. And I don't mean like five strips, I mean a plate. But if that's what you want to do, if you want to sacrifice the free gift of grace, understand what you're picking up. Because you're not going to be able to hold it. It also means you're, at, you're, you're sacrificing grace for the law. By the way, there isn't just three laws 
Hundreds. And most importantly, you sacrifice sonship for servanthood. You're saying, I don't want my inherited right. I don't want this promise that you want to give me. That's what we give up when we say these things. Paul continues on in Galatians 4, starting verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. A couple things about that I want to point out. When I talked about sonship earlier, I mentioned having that intimate relationship. And, and Paul right here, for those of you who love the, the nerdy facts we might give sometimes, that word Abba is actually Aramaic. It's not Greek. It's not Hebrew. And when you want to reference that, it references back to Jesus crying out on the cross, Father. And so when, this, when, when Paul writes this, this isn't some weeping cry. This is having this intimate relationship with a father that's loving that wants to be there, that wants to be close, that wants to know you. And maybe the reason some of us struggle with this so much is because maybe you haven't had that relationship imitated to you. Hear me on this. I understand that, and I get that. Maybe some of you, it's not been a father. Maybe it's been like, hey, I didn't have a mother figure. Maybe it's like, no, I, Chase, like, it wasn't that I had a bad parental figure. I lost my parent when I was five, six, seven, nine. So I have no idea. If you're in that boat, most times that's a big boat. Let me hear this from me, please. What this is, what I'm preaching on this morning, it's not a replacement for that. It's something greater than that. I hope you hear that. As someone that I can speak about this on, I can tell you that when I've grasped this, it changed my life. And I hope you have that change too. And so maybe you don't know who you are because this is your struggle. Church, when we encounter the gospel, we know who we are. And we need to have confidence in that. We need to have confidence in that, and it should bring us joy and fulfillment. So I'm going to spend my last five minutes unpacking this a little bit more. The question of the day was, who are you? Who am I? Who are we? In this text alone, here's what we've learned. We are sons. We are heirs. We are redeemed. We are adopted. All of those came from the verses we talked about this morning. As we walk through each of them, let me tell you what this means. As sons, you are prized. You are wanted. And that should erase fears that you have. God has you in hand. If you call on Christ, that's where you belong. You are heirs, which means you get to share in the glory. 
being a son of God, being one of the sons of God, means you have that same kind of right as Jesus. You share in that. That's what it means to be clothed in Christ, one with Christ. Third, you're redeemed. Redemption is the paying of price and being set free because of it. Nothing we did. Jesus paid that price and set us free. That's why we're redeemed. And the fourth one that we didn't talk much when we read it, we're adopted. Let me talk about that word for a second. I love this word. I love adoption. Some of you in here might have taken up that charge and said, yeah, I, I want to adopt. Here's why I love adoption, and I love this language being used. First thing I want to say, is, if that's something you've done, I want to say this. Adoption is after the heart of God. And here's how I know that. Adoption is a choice. You didn't wake up one morning and open your door and be like, oh man, somebody left a kid on my doorstep. That doesn't happen. And if it does, call, call CPS, please. But no, like, you physically make the choice that we're going to do this. And it doesn't happen like that. There's like, I don't know, 312 things to check off on the list to do. And then there's plenty of red tape to go through. And the reason why I like the language of adoption, when God sees us, when God sees me, you, he doesn't look and say, oh, that was a mistake. No, I chose you. I'm adopting you. It's a choice he made. And the only choice we have to make is whether or not we say yes to that. So let's get real for a second. Eh, yeah, I'll come down below. Camera, follow me as best you can. I don't want anyone to leave here and not understand this message and not get it. So when I look out and I say, all right, do you know who you are? I think a lot of us get it here, but I don't know if we get it here. A lot of you in this room maybe have been through a lot worse than me. No doubt there is plenty of that probably. But hear me on this. Do you know that you're loved? Do you know that God chose you? Do you know that God wants you? And he wants you not just to know of him, he wants you to know him. He wants to have that father relationship with you. And church, the reason I'm talking this way and the reason I want us to really you know, get down to earth about it is because when we get this, everything else starts coming together. Because this is our identity. Let me answer for you. Who you are, you are loved. You are chosen. You're dear. And you'll be glorified. That is what has been chosen for you from God because of the sacrifice. I hope you hear that this morning. As we transition, what we're going to do next is on the second Sunday of the month, we do communion every month. And that's what we're going to be doing next. As we go to that time, there's tables around the room for you to go to, and you can take it together as family, as a person you came with, as individuals. 
what you're taking is symbolism for the sacrifice, that redemption that we have through the cross. And some of you might be in the room and be like, Jason, I, I don't even know what this is. I don't even know what communion is. I don't even know Jesus. You know, if that's you, you're all good. Come find one of us in the back. You want to know more? Come find me, Pastor Jason, Pastor Paul, Pastor Kevin. Just come talk to one of us because we want to have that conversation with you. So as we get ready to take communion together, remember that without skepticism that you have this free gift because of what God did. Let's pray. God, as we come to, ta- to the table this morning, we just thank you for who you are. God, as we gather in the house, we come to this time and we remember that even though we don't see ourselves as worthy, you did. Because you loved us first. We know when Jesus was on earth, the night before he was going to the cross, he, he met with those closest to him as they sat around the table. He took the bread and he broke it and he told everyone that this is my broken body, broken for you. And then later as the meal was ending, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup, the blood of the new covenant. Not the law, the new covenant poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. As we do this this morning, God, we remember your sacrifice of the Son so that we can become sons of you. And we're so thankful for it. We pray this all in your name. Amen.